So I'm going to go ahead and start answering all the questions that we've gotten um, from last week. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and, and do that for everybody here so that that way we can get all these questions answered. So I'm going to cover as many as I can. So first question was from Julia. Uh, Julia says, uh, how do you overcome health anxiety? Great question. So we've been dealing with a lot of health anxiety cases since COVID started, especially. Um, I do have a couple more in-depth videos on our YouTube specifically about health anxiety. We also have a couple interviews we've done with clients that we've helped overcome health anxiety. So I'll recommend that you check those out. Um, those are all available on our YouTube channel. Um, but a couple quick answers for you, Julia. Health anxiety is predominantly based off of two mental habits. The first mental habit is that your mind has started scanning your body repetitively, looking for proof that there is a problem. The second big mental habit is that your mind will typically say uh, certain words that have a particular embedded meaning in them. So the most common word that people will use that will induce health anxiety is the word symptom. Um, so very often what's happening is you're noticing what's actually just a sensation in your body, but you're calling it a symptom, which gives it this connotation that there's something medically wrong with you. And that can become anxiety inducing. Um, another common one I hear is people will use the word palpitations to describe their heart. So they'll notice their heart. They notice their heart is beating a little faster. And nine times out of 10, it's just that your heart's beating a little fast. But when you call it a palpitation, it gives it this connotation that, you know, maybe you're going to have a heart attack or some big problem. Okay. Um, so of course, you know, check with your medical doctor, see if there's any physical condition going on, but if they've cleared you and it's really just health anxiety related, it's those two big mental health habits that need to be um, adjusted. Okay. So that's the first big thing. All right. Next question. Also from Julia. How to overcome anxiety uh, of taking or changing new pills? So when, you've, when you're dealing with health anxiety, any adjustment in your medication is going to create an adjustment in how you're feeling emotionally as well as changing physical symptoms. And so um, that's going to typically create more triggers for you, but it's going to trigger the same automatic response, which is scanning for proof that there's a problem and then telling yourself, a belief and a story that there is a problem. So of course, if you are trying to um, get off your medications, do so responsibly, talk with your physician, make sure you're scaling back appropriately. Um, and I would highly recommend that you get some type of a system or a set of skills in place to handle your anxiety naturally and fully before you fully get off your medication or else you're probably just gonna run into more issues and people find that this is an urge that they have where they want to reduce the things that trigger them without dealing with the underlying cause. So the metaphor that I always teach is um, think of your mind like a jukebox, right? It's got like a thousand CDs in it. If I go up to the jukebox and I type in a sequence of numbers or letters, it's going to bring forward that CD that is attached and tied to that sequence. So in other words, I will trigger it with the numbers and letters, but the response is where the music comes in, right? So if we really want to get rid of the problem, we've got to get rid of the CD. We've got to make sure that that CD is no longer enacting itself, right? And that's the key thing, okay? Next question is, uh, actually, this one is a live one. I'll try to answer this. This comes in from Angela. She says, I'm going through ECT treatments for the first time. What are your thoughts about ECT? Yep. Um, 
Short answer, Angela, I tend to find it is very often not effective long-term. Um, that's just based off of all of the people I've interviewed and consulted with and had clients that have done it over the past. It's usually not super effective. And usually if they're, if you're being recommended for that, it's because your doctor or your psychiatrist or your therapist is running out of ideas of what to do to help you. Um, so all the best of luck, but for the majority of people I've seen, it, it doesn't really work very well. Um, let's see. Mary Ellen says, I'm going through a little health anxiety. I'm still not as healthy as I once was, but I'm taking baby steps. Awesome. Good job, Mary Ellen. All right. Next question. Amanda says, uh, how to overcome self-harm. So a couple of thoughts on that. Um, we engage in habitual behaviors because we go into habitual emotions. So the key thing here is emotions equal behavior. So um, I learned this when I was early on in my career and I was helping people overcome uh, alcoholism and addiction to drugs and things of that nature. And I learned that, you know, people would go in and out of rehab a lot because they would go get clean, they'd come back home, they would access the same emotions that fueled the addiction in the first place. So the better question is not how to overcome that particular behavior, right? And a lot of people would say like, hey, just don't hurt yourself. But that's a really tough thing to do when you keep feeling depressed or anxious or that, that desire to feel the relief. Um, and the reason why people go to self-harm typically is because when they, when they harm themselves, they, they get out of this state of feeling like constant overwhelming thoughts and it forces your mind to have to focus on the singular action that you're doing. Of course, it's not healthy to do, but we've got to get rid of the overwhelm or the depression that's fueling it. Um, and that would be the better thing. So focus on strategies to reduce those. And then the desire to self-harm will evaporate. Uh, Sherry says, I need to learn to come to accept my depression and anxiety of just living. I'm not suicidal nor doing physical self-harm, but mentally and emotionally, I'm destroying myself. Um, okay, I'm not seeing a question there, Sherry. Uh, I, I don't agree with the attitude of we need to just accept the idea that we're going to be depressed and anxious for the rest of our lives. The problem with that is it then causes us to mentally imagine a future of being in pain. And the mental habit of imagining a future of being in pain is the very thing that creates further anxiety or depression. Um, so I'm not a fan of that at all. I'm definitely a big fa in favor of us very vividly imagining our, our mental health improving. Um, and I, I'm a big believer that to get rid of depression long term, we have to focus on a vision of the future being how we want it to be. We have to train the brain to focus on how we want it to be in the future, um, not the other way around. Uh, Rebecca asks, how to stop ruminating over mistakes? Great question. So a couple things on this. Um, first thing I would say is that focusing on the past and things that we cannot control will always disempower you. Um, it's just a universal law of the human psyche that if you do that, you will feel disempowered. The trick is to ask yourself, what can I learn from this, right? So um, the, any mistake that you made, almost always there is a unexpected benefit that occurred as a result. You, you learned a lesson, maybe you, um, you, know, you went through a painful relationship, for example, or a divorce, and that's going to cause you ultimately to cherish the love that you feel in a future relationship that much more. 
Um, I just wrote a blog post about this this morning where uh, I had a, I have a client recently where something went really badly as a child with her and her mom. She never felt loved by her mom, and she was ruminating on this again and again. And so we realized that my client had a really fantastic relationship with her current children, primarily because she knew what it, what pain it was to grow up with a mother that was not very loving. And so what we did is a practice called blaming effectively, where she was going to blame her mother for the love her mother didn't give her as a child, but she was also now going to blame her mother for the uh, amazing relationship that she now had with her kids. Right? So almost always, whenever we make a mistake, there is an unexpected benefit um, that comes from that. So you want to look back and ask yourself, okay, what can I learn from this? You know, What was the benefit that came from it? Uh, let's see, Angela says another thing here about the ECT. Psychiatrist recommended it. I've been through every medication out there and nothing has worked. Been in and out of hospitals for the past 23 years. I'm hoping it will help. Yep, so um, Angela, obviously I'm a little biased because my method is, you know, the way that we teach people how to do things is primarily for people who have not had great results with medications, therapy, all that type of stuff. Um, so there are I, I would highly recommend learning the process to naturally train your brain to think and feel differently. And I think that you'll you'll tend to find that you'll you'll be much more successful with that. Um, Ashley has Ashley just comes in with a live comment here. She says, I'm trying to get back out in the social and dating world, but every time I get invited out, I panic. My anxiety goes through the roof. Sometimes I feel physically sick and make up an excuse why I can't go. How can I stop doing this? Yep. So Ashley, um, we feel we have emotional responses to the triggers in our life based off of the habitual meanings that we give those triggers. So what's happening is you have um, some beliefs about dating or beliefs about men or women. I'm not sure who you're, you know, what kind of sex you're dating or whatnot. It doesn't, that doesn't really matter all that much, but very often we'll, we'll create generalized beliefs based off of painful experiences we had in the past. So you either had a relationship that really ended painfully or you had a date that didn't go well, or you may have been feeling insecure since a child um, because you felt like maybe, you know, uh, no matter what you did, it wasn't good enough. Some, maybe all three. But you probably have a series of stacked experiences that have created a lot of associations of pain to dating. So here's a, a quick little strategy you can use. Um, you can ask yourself, and you can write this down, you can say... Um, in order for me to feel the way I'm feeling, what would I have to believe, right? And then just write down as many answers to that as you can come up with. So, you know, what would I have to believe about myself? What would I have to believe about men? What would I have to believe about um, dating itself, right? And you'll you'll realize that there are some beliefs that you're holding on to, like uh, dating is going to create pain or they're not going to like me, right? And you'll if you can figure out what those beliefs are, then what you can do is, as a second step, you can ask yourself, is that really true, yes or no? Like, is it absolutely, totally true that I know for sure that they're not going to like me, right? Things like that. And so you can start to dislodge those old negative beliefs that way. That's a simplified version of, of the process, okay? Um, but really good question. Okay, going back to questions from last week, uh, let's see... Uh, Jen 
asked how to stop ruminating over everything, I kind of just answered that a second ago. Another key tip I would give with this too is some of you guys are asking your question in the, in the wrong way. You're saying, how do I stop doing this negative thing? Um, but by asking, by thinking about it that way, like how do I stop doing this negative thing? That creates a problem. That's kind of like saying to yourself, how do I stop thinking about a purple elephant? All right, like go ahead right now and just try to not think about a purple elephant. All right, you'll find that very, very difficult. So very often what we do is in our head, we go, okay, how do I stop freaking out? I need to stop freaking out, stop freaking out. And what that does is it makes you freak out more. So the trick is to make sure that you put your focus on something else entirely. So instead of how do I stop ruminating, the better question would be, what can I do to create more peace in my life? What can I do to boost my mood? What can I do to feel happier? Right? And you'll find it much more easy to solve your problem um, by focusing on the solution that way. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 uh, let's see. Angela says, different Angela, I think, um, says, so I have currently, oh, this was the ECT question you, you had asked before um, earlier in the week. Okay, let's go there. Grief. Uh, Ruth just says the word grief. Okay, not quite sure um, what your question is about grief. Although I will say that I've just recorded a full-length training on this that'll be released probably in about a week or so on our YouTube channel. Um, so I'll probably direct you there since I don't know what your specific question is about grief. Um, I'll add just a couple remarks. Typically, uh, grief if you're feeling grief in a short-term capacity, um, you know, say within like a 90-day period, that's very understandable. If you've been feeling ongoing debilitating grief for longer than 90 days, um, the simple answer is that you've got a story in your head that they should not have died. And so we, we don't feel emotional pain because of the things that happen to us. We create, we feel emotional pain because we have a belief that they shouldn't have happened that way. The larger the disconnect is between how our life is and how we expect our life to be, the larger the pain will be. And so um, for, to, to take an unhealthy grief into a healthy grief, what's necessary is to adjust your belief or the meaning that you're giving it and uh, change it from either they shouldn't have gone or they were too young or blah, 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 whatever that is, into a different meaning of, well, you know, we all have our time, right? Or, or, you know, whatever it is. It has to be some type of a new meaning of acceptance, right? Fundamentally, you just have no control over that. And if you continue to try to argue with the fact that it happened, you'll feel um, deeply upset. All right, we got a live question, I think. Um... From Allison, I recently went to a wedding with my mom's family. I felt panic and overwhelmed with so many conversations around me when I, what can I do to feel less anxious? Uh, so we tend to feel anxious in response to other people because we're either seeking their approval um, is typically the biggest reason. And so that may have been the case. Um, so to working on breaking the mental habit of requiring that we give it everyone's approval and instead focusing on something that we value more uh, would be the much better thing. So when we're going into a big social gathering and the intent that we have is I, I need to give everyone's approval or I need to be totally safe or I need to be totally certain of how this is going to go, some of those values, as the term we use for it, are not obtainable. 
So going into a public event with a very different intention or value, like, you know what, I'm just here to have fun, or I'm just here to uh, connect with the people I want to connect with, right? Something like that would may be a lot more obtainable. Okay. All right. Um, Scott says, get rid of chest pains. So first recommendation I would say is go, um, you know, check with an MD and a doctor, make sure you don't have something going on with your chest. If it is just anxiety-induced chest pains, don't put your focus on how do I get rid of the chest pains for the reasons I just said a second ago, because that means the more you focus on your chest, the more you're going to experience pain in your chest. Your focus should instead be on, okay, what will we do to reduce the anxiety? What will we do to create more peace of mind? Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, next, how do I overcome depression and anxiety? Ellie asks. Right. So great question. That's the whole question. That's the whole thing. That's, you know, that's everything I do. Um, since your question is very general, I'm going to direct you to a webinar that we have on our site that is about a 45-minute explanation of a lot of introductory tools. Um, and that is at uh, ty-hicks.com slash masterclass. And you'll find that full-length webinar there. Uh, Eric and congratulations, Eric, because I know you just became a client recently. Um, you said, Eric, how does one turn off negative and intrusive thoughts? How does interrupting them actually occur? How will you know that you're well enough to make life-altering decisions? So, Eric, uh, one thing I mentioned to you is our clients go through what we call a values clarification process. And so what's important is that we figure out what your values are going to be for the life that you want to live going forward, and then making decisions becomes a lot easier. The reason why people feel conflicted when they're trying to make big decisions in their life is they have conflicting values. So an example of that is they want to stay in a relationship because they value things like security, safety, predictability, but they want to leave the relationship because they value things like independence, joy, happiness, and they think they're going to get that outside of the relationship. So, so long as you have conflicting values, it's going to be very tough to make decisions. And that's where intrusive thoughts come in. The intrusive thoughts come in because your mind is trying to reconcile those conflicting values. So the values clarification process is how we're going to solve that problem for you. Um, Amy is asking about magnesium glycinate, good for anxiety. Um, I don't know that that particular chemical or vitamin or what that is. Um, I don't prioritize dietary stuff typically with our clients because, yes, it can play a role in an impact, but typically it does not play the most significant impact. The most significant thing you could do, Amy, is learn how to retrain the brain um, to think and feel differently because until you deal with that, any little biochemical adjustments you're going to make are, are kind of going to be like a drop in the bucket. Um, Tally says how to overcome and not fall back into disorders that come from feeling like you're losing control, such as an eating disorder and disassociation due to OCD thinking and behavior. Yep. So Tally, what's going on there? There's several things going on with your challenge there, but probably the number one challenge that you have is you are overvaluing certainty. So kind of what I was just talking about with values Think of a value as something that you're chasing after. It's a feeling that you are trying to obtain, that you're trying to reach. Some values are more obtainable than others. So for example, like growth, right? We can all typically do something pretty much any moment of any day 
that can cause us to grow. That's a very obtainable value. But it sounds like what you're trying to value is like feeling in control and feeling certain. And you're never going to feel 100% certain in life. And you're, there's plenty of things you're not going to be able to control. So what I have found with clients who develop eating disorders and OCD is their mind is constantly trying to pin down every little variable and they're, they're, it's becoming obsessive about control and certainty. And so the way, ironically, to feel more certain is to become okay with feeling uncertain, right? You've got to train yourself to become okay feeling uncertain because the more obsessed you get with trying to feel certain, the less certain you will feel. It's like a dog chasing its own tail, right? And your mind will try to overcompensate, all right? Uh, Melanie asks, how to, co how to cope with guilt after losing someone? How to ease anxiety attacks when they begin? All right, so guilt after losing someone. So you've got a story going on in your head that you should have, should have done something different um, than you did, right? And so um, what I would recommend that you do is really ask yourself sincerely, was what happened to this person uh, within your control or not? Probably not. You know, it absolutely would not be uh, in the vast majority of cases. Um, in the very rare chance that you, someone was lost because of an action that you took, like say you were, you know, drunk driving or something like that, what you would ask, what you'd really want to ask yourself would be, uh, would that person really want you to be beating yourself up? What would be that person's wishes? Would they want you to be blaming yourself and putting yourself in pain and all of these things, right? If you had a family member who died or, or whatever it is, um, do what would honor that person, right? Because when we put ourselves in pain unnecessarily, I believe that we dishonor the people that we've lost. And that's not going to help you or help them or help their memory at all. Okay, your next question, Melanie, how to use anxiety attacks when they begin? Okay, most important thing that you've got to learn to take control of is your physiology, in particular, your breathing. There's a, a little meditative practice that is really helpful um, to, to do this. By the way, we have a full-length video on my YouTube about the source of anxiety attacks and how to stop them in a more lasting way. So you're welcome to check that out. It's about an hour and a half. But um, to just kind of mitigate them when they first come on, you got to take control of your breathing. You got to train yourself to breathe fully in and fully out in a nice, uh, relaxed, non-forced way. The next most important thing is to make sure that you are focusing on how you want the remainder of your day or you want that particular experience to go because an anxiety attack is brought on by three main things um, first we imagine something bad happening so like fainting in public two we tell ourselves linguistically something bad will happen so it's usually the language of what if i faint or i'm gonna faint and then third physiologically we change our body we, we breathe tightly we tense our muscles right? All that type of stuff. So taking control firstly of the focus and the physiology is going to be the big things to train yourself to do. Uh, Rosanna says, how do I stop letting, uh, by the way, if any of you guys are watching live and you have a question, just let me know in the comments and I'll answer it. Uh, Rosanna said, how do I stop letting bully narcissistic neighbor cause me daily crippling anxiety? So Rosanna, I know you became a client recently. Um, I addressed this question in our client Facebook group. Um, I'll kind of, I'll share with you 
as well an answer here for the community. So the big thing I recommend for you guys, if you're feeling really, uh, if you're feeling like your mental health is being really impacted by other people, start to differentiate in your life between three key things. Um, think of them as three buckets. The first bucket is things that you can control. The second bucket is things that you cannot control, but you can influence. The third are things that you cannot control and you cannot influence. Okay, so other people in your relationships with other people fall in the bucket of you can influence it, but you can't control it. And there will reach a point where you have um, essentially exacerbated your current level of influence. So for you, Rosanna, it would either be a comedy. First, my, my first recommendation would be focus the majority of your attention on what you can control first and not what you can't control. Um, secondly, if it's important to you to try to improve your relationship with this person, then um, you want to utilize as many uh, effective communication skills as you possibly can. You have access, I believe, to relationship mastery. Um, so there's a whole module in there about effective communication skills. So you can go through that. There are six key communication skills that have to be learned to improve relationships. Um, but if your neighbor... If you try those and you really work on your own ability to communicate with them, uh, then and they're still not, you know, budging or, or doing what it is you need them to do, then what you can control is either how much time you focus on them or where you live. You can control where you live. So you can change where you live if that's ultimately what you got to do. And that may be unfortunate, but that may be your only option in an extreme case. Okay. Leah asks... How do I get over the loss of him? Every day waking up without him, not hearing his voice, and the feeling of guilt I hold for his taking his life. So I'm very sorry, Leah, for the loss. That sounds painful. Um, first thing I would recommend is have a little compassion for yourself that you're feeling grief. It's okay. It's understandable. I don't know who this person is you're referring to, um, you know, whether it was a husband or a brother or, or something like that, but... Um, pretty much what I just said a few minutes ago, right? Don't, he, he would not want you blaming yourself, right? I'm sure that that would be the case to let that go. Um, and it will be challenging, but it's going to be necessary. And I'll also refer that you, uh, you review our more in-depth grief training that we're releasing soon. Uh, Rachel says, how to stop very negative and very obsessive thought loops. So, um, we, anxiety emerges I'll remind you, anxiety emerges in direct proportion to how big of a disconnect there is between how our life is and how we believe our life should be. So the formula for fulfillment is when our life conditions equal our expectations. So what would be very good for you to do is that same process I was having you do. Here's, here's what you want to do. Get a pen and paper out and uh, finish the sentence. I should dot, 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 and then go with whatever comes to you at the end of that sentence. I should be perfect. I should lose weight. I should whatever. Figure out what all of your shoulds are. And then you want to figure out which one of those you can let go of that are just ridiculous, you know, that may not be serving you and, and may not be helping you. Okay. Let's see. Um, uh, Maureen has a question related to that one. She says, how to stop the rumination of bad memories, negative thoughts, even if you stop at one time and they keep coming back. Same exact thing, Maureen, except it's a should about the past. So 
you know, in the past, this should have happened, right? Or I should have done this instead, right? The more shoulds you have, the more anxiety and rumination you're going to have. You got to get let go of the shoulds. All right. Florence, how to answer gaps in resume or job changes when the real answer is mental health? I distinctly remember the reason for each. Uh, lack of creativity, diversity, healthy boundaries, support, but I can't actually say that in an interview. How do I sidestep the fact that bipolar is and always will be a part of my life? They ask if I want to disclose if I have a disability. The answers are yes, no, I don't want to answer. Um, yeah, so there's a couple different ways to think about that. Um, firstly, Florence, I would challenge the idea that your how you are currently experiencing feeling bipolar is just inherently going to be a part of your life forever. I, I don't agree with that um, as a life sentence. I don't think anybody should put that on themselves and inherently believe that they're going to be limited for the rest of their life. There are skills you can learn to improve your mental health dramatically. So, of course, I would recommend that you focus on trying to learn those. In terms of this specific thing with the employer, um, I think there's a couple ways you could go about it. Uh, generally, when we are dishonest, we create further situations of being anxious with ourselves. If you're dishonest, you're probably going to put yourself in a position where your anxiety is even higher because now you feel like you have something to hide and you feel like you have to be further dishonest and you're now living in an environment constantly where you're pretending to be something other than you're not. And the fastest way for any of us to be miserable is to pretend to be someone other than we are not. So um, if you are committed to the idea that you're going to continue to have this bipolar issue forever, then I would probably recommend you be honest because I don't think you're going to live, I don't think you're going to be fulfilled and happy in a workplace environment unless you find some place that's going to be accommodating and, um, you know, uh, validating of, of your experience. So you may just want to be honest. But what I would personally recommend, if you were a client of mine, what I would tell you to do, be honest with them that you had some mental health challenges, tell them you're working on them and tell them, and then also for you personally, I would say, let's set some very clear mental health goals. Let's create a vision of how you want your mental health to be in the future. And let's create strategies that will help you do that. Uh, let's see, I need to know about the same thing. Grant says, is depression and anxiety all in the mind? Um, part of it is physical, Grant. It's, it's tough to know what you mean by in the mind, right? There's lots of different definitions for that. So depression and anxiety, uh, in my view, come from two main sources. There's the short-term source and then the long-term source. The short-term source is your conditioned, conditioned patterns of focusing, um, your conditioned patterns of what you tell yourself and your conditioned patterns of what you do with your physiology, how you breathe, how you tense yourself up, whether you fidget, whether you pace, different things like that. So that's kind of the short-term thing. Um, learning different habits of those three will dramatically reduce depression and anxiety. The long-term problem with depression and anxiety is what we call your model of the world. And that has to do with um, essentially how you what you believe life is, what who you believe you are, who you believe you should be. So a, an obvious example would be if you grew up in an environment where you felt like you had to constantly please everybody, 
um, and you developed people-pleasing tendencies, and now you're living your life still continuously trying to please everybody, you're trying to live life in a way that will never be obtainable, right? Your model of the world is that I must please everyone in order to be fulfilled and to feel peace. Well, guess what? You're never going to please everybody. So that mismatch between how life is and how you expect life to be is going to create perpetual intrusive thoughts of like, did I upset that person? Did I upset this person? Right? So you've got to change your model of the world. You have to change what you value, right? You have to change, you have to let go of, I, I need everybody's approval. And instead what I'm going to value something else, right? And I'm going to answer a related question um, of Allie's. She says, why does my mind go against the values I wrote down? So Allie, the better question to be asking would be, how do you live in accordance with your chosen values? Right, because I know you've gone through the values process. So the way that you live in accordance with your chosen values, there's three big ways to do that. So you've got your written document of your values and rules. There's the daily conditioning process that we have outlined in module nine that needs to be done at a minimum once a day for at least, in your case, I would recommend 30 days at least. Some Usually it's two weeks, right? But that's going to be very important. Number two, when you're trying to make big life decisions, you need to consult that list of values and ask yourself, what is the decision I would take in accordance with my chosen values? And then immediately act on that decision, even though you're going to feel some resistance because your nervous system is still trained to operate off the old values. So recognize that you're going to feel some resistance, but that's okay, but you, you must train yourself to act. Okay, and then the third big thing would be Simply make small cumulative decisions that are aligned with your chosen values because that's what causes a true shift in our values. You don't change your values by just writing down, hey, these are my values, right? And you don't change your values by writing those down and then saying, why don't I feel totally convinced of these values I wrote down? The way you change your values is through small cumulative incremental action being taken. An example of that would be if I'll, I'll go with the example I was giving with Grant a second ago. So if somebody was a, trying to be a people pleaser their whole life, and whenever they went to a family function or whenever they were at work, they would constantly be, oh, how can I help you? How can I help you? Da, 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 da. And they would take actions to try to be people pleasing all the time. What they have to start to do is go, oh, oh wait, I feel the urge to people please. Nope. I'm going to let go of that urge. And even though I feel an urge to do it, I'm going to not follow through on that. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on what makes me happy in this situation. I'm going to do that even though it doesn't feel automatic. And as you do that, it will feel more automatic. And as it feels more automatic, that's how you shift your personality. That's how you shift your model of the world. So it only comes through action taking. Okay. Uh, ben has got a live question. What's some top tips for building confidence? So just quickly, I need to take a drink here real quick. Okay, two key ways to build confidence. First is to vividly imagine things going how you want them to go and tell yourself this is going to happen and repeat that pattern again and again and again. The trick is imagining it going how you want it to go as if it's already a done deal. Like it's you're in that moment, the goal is achieved, it's done. And then talk to yourself in a way where you're saying like, it's going to happen, I'm going to do this. Okay, that's the first way you can do it. The second way you can do it is literally just start taking action. Even though you feel uncertain and unsure, let it be okay that you don't feel confident, but take action anyway. 
And as you start to take action, you'll go, oh, look at that. I guess I actually can do this. So you can either project forward and you can feel confident that way, or you can look backward to the, tr the trail of things that you've already gotten yourself to do, and that will create confidence. Okay, a combination of those two tends to work well. Jennifer says, how can I overcome depression, anxiety, and PTSD from my last relationship? I am on meds, but it's not helping any. We've tried so many. I have serious trust issues as well with everyone, especially my fiance because of my mental health. Great question, Jennifer. Um, this is exactly why we have uh, the relationship program that I do because your mental health is always going to be intimately tied in with your relationships. Um, your meds are probably not likely to do much, so I'm not surprised that that's happening there. What's happened is you went through a very painful experience where you opened your heart up and you trusted somebody, and then it felt like the rug was pulled out from under you. And so what you did is you created a mental adaptation and an urge to try to survive and protect yourself. So you started to value things like certainty and trust way, way, way higher. And you came up with a bunch of additional rules about what has to happen in order for you to feel trust. So ironically, it's the fact that you are overvaluing trust that is making you untrusting. So you're essentially saying, I can only feel love if I have total trust first. And while that makes sense and that's understandable based off of the painful experience you had, you're not going to get the relationship you want until you put trust on its proper place on your values. You got to move it down on the list. Um, and so valuing something higher is going to be the, the only way to do that. So everything I've been saying about the shoulds and the rules would be a good exercise for you to do. Uh, you know, you could ask yourself, in order for me to feel trust, what would have to happen? And then write that down and ask yourself that, you know, 10 or 15 times and try to figure out all the answers. And you'll probably realize that you're holding on to some expectations that just don't make sense. Like, in order for me to feel trust, I need to know with absolute certainty that m my fiancé is never going to cheat on me. Right? Something like that. Well, you know, you, you will never have 100% total certainty of that. So if you're requiring that that expectation is met to then feel trust so you can then feel love, you're screwed, right? You have to adjust your rules to make them more obtainable, okay? There's a whole video on my YouTube, by the way, called, um, called uh, the formula for, uh, it's, it's called this one formula will eliminate your anxiety, okay? I would recommend you check that out. That will help you a lot. Uh, let's see. Do we have another question here from Eric? Eric says, how does someone get past their past relationships so they can enjoy their current relationships? Um, Eric, you, you know, you just started with the program. We're a couple weeks in, so you keep wanting to jump to like step eight or nine, right? So um, I answered this question for you just recently. So, you know, we'll keep adjusting. First, we got to get your own foundation of your mental health established. So you're not feeling like your sense of self-worth and your mental health is reliant on other people. That's the first big thing. Then we go to the next layer, which is let's improve the relationship. Okay. Because it's a, pretty much impossible to improve a relationship until you deal with your ongoing um, emotional center of gravity being in a, in a negative place. Uh, Nikki says, Nikki says, when you're in the middle of the bathroom crying and even... Uh, how do you pull yourself together? So the bottom line is, how do you pull yourself together? Um, Nikki, there is a 
Uh, I actually have a video that you can find on YouTube, or if you can't find it, just let us know in the comments and we're happy to help get you access to that. But I have a video that is specifically like, here's what to do. It's like a guided video of what to do when you're having like an anxiety attack. Um, that would be a very helpful one for you so you can learn how to get yourself out of it. So um, we should start there. Uh, let's see. Julie has a question. She says, the correlation with sleep. Uh, also have sleep apnea. Is there a connection with all three? Uh, yeah, so chances are you're in this Facebook group because you're dealing with either anxiety or depression and some intrusive thoughts. Um, just focus on getting the anxiety and depression reduced and the sleep will improve almost always. Um, I, anytime you're dealing with both anxiety, depression, or sleep issues, then um, just focus on the mental health stuff and, and the sleep will uh, come. Okay, I'm going to try to rush through as many as I can because i got a client appointment here in 10 minutes. Uh, so let's see, Betty, how do you explain to coworkers, family, when mental health issues interfere with your ability to fulfill around responsibilities and social obligations? Um, you know, I think, Betty, you might be making it a little more complicated than it is, you know, if you need to take a little time off, you know, uh, you know, the afternoon or the day or whatever, you can do that. But I don't think, I think you're putting your focus in an understandable direction, but not the direction that's going to serve you best. Instead of be, instead of thinking, how can I get the outside world to accommodate my internal mental health issues? The better question is, how do I improve my mental health so that that way I can feel more confident and adaptable and less insecure uh, in lots of different environments? That's, that's the much better train of thought to be taking long term, okay? Because when you try to just get the outside world to you know, conform, you're going to be even more reactive to how other people treat you. All right. Amanda says, how can I take control over my negative thoughts and make them stop making me feel so depressed and anxious? Uh, so I don't, uh, yes. Okay. So Amanda, I'm going to also refer for you to check out that video called this one formula will eliminate your anxiety. There's also a video on uh, we call it, it's called How My Clients and I Eliminate Intrusive Thoughts. Both of those are on my YouTube. Go ahead, check those out. Those will give you a lot more in-depth explanations. Um, Diana says, how do I overcome being drawn to the wrong type of boyfriend? Great question. So what tends to happen, you said that, that you find them to be abusive and narcissistic. So um, First, you'd want to take a look at what was the role model of relationship that you grew up with. Um, more than likely, you grew up experiencing a unhealthy relationship as a role model with your parents or your, you know, step parent or wh whoever was around you. Uh, more than likely, um, and you may it, it depends. There's a couple different reasons why you may have had a father figure that was very passive, and you found that they like were like overly passive and they did not take control. And so you started to crave um, a, someone with a different kind of energy. And so you kind of overcorrected. So uh, whenever I'm working with people on relationship issues, this is a big problem. So they'll either, they'll either have a past relationship or they'll have grown up with a parent that was like really over the top masculine. And so then they'll crave a more like docile, passive uh, partner but then they're like bored to death with that partner because they pick someone who's more safe because they want to have find a partner that's not going to be at risk of causing them pain. And so they have to find a, a partner who's not like just 
you know, super boring, right? But that's also not going to be harmful to them. The other problem is exactly the opposite, right? Where you grow up with a, a parent figure of the opposite sex, or you had a relationship um, where the person was really, really docile and passive. And so you crave someone who is a little bit more, um, you know, assertive, aggressive, right? But you can end up attracting people who will be harmful to you. So what I, there's a framework that I teach in my relationship program um, that we call level one, two, and three masculinity. And so you are going after level one masculine people, and you need to be going after level, at least level two, but ideally level three masculine people. Uh, level one is when we interact in a relationship and we make it all about us and our needs and not the other person's. So level one masculine is like, you know, hey, go make me a sandwich, bitch, right? Like that's the like stereotypical version of um, level one masculine, like aggressive, assertive, demanding, possessive, all that stuff. Level two masculine is like uh, tit for tat. Like I'll do this if you do that. Like I'll help you out, you help me out. More like a business partner, which can be okay, but it doesn't have a lot of passion. Level three masculine is about like service, leadership, um, where someone will, you know, call you out on your shit, but they'll do it for your own good. For example, they're not just, they're not being aggressive to be aggressive. Like they will assert themselves in the relationship when they need to, to look out for you, right? Things like that. All right. Um, probably can only answer one or two more. Uh, do, do, do. I haven't heard my question. You haven't got to it yet, Tally. I don't know where your question was there, Tally. Let me see if I can find it. I'm not seeing your question, Tally. I'm, try, I'm trying. I'm trying to get through all these, but I'm probably not going to get through all of them. Uh, let's see. Okay, that is just a comment, not a question. Tracy says, will you post this in the group for people who can't attend live? Yes, this will be available. Oh, I only have one more question. I can probably do this. Um, Tally, go ahead and rewrite your question if you want. Oh, here it is. You just put it in here. Um so to do, do, do how to overcome and not fall back into disorders that come from feeling like you're losing control. Such I, I did answer that one, Tally. So you came in late. I answered it. You'll find it in the replay. Um, Amy, why is it that I can't let my only daughter and grandson who moved 3000 miles away be happy for them and not cry? Uh, let me skim the rest here. It's a lot. Okay, so what's going on there, Amy, is you have a big set of beliefs that it should have gone differently than it did. That's that's it. That's why you're in pain. So the thing is to either work on accepting how it went down, um, and then I would say you need to create a vision for what you want your relationship to be like with these people, and then you need to focus your energy on what can you do to make the relationship with these people how you want it to be. That is the only valuable, empowering way that you will uh, focus your energy. Um, sweet. I got through all of them. Wow. Right on the dime. That's awesome. Cool. So thanks, everybody, for your questions. Really appreciate it. Let me know if you have other ones, uh, and we'll try to get back to you. Um, a quick reminder, if you ever like want to like jump to the front of the line and get some advice, um, we do offer one free uh, coaching session to every member of our community. So you can always book that at mentalhealthcoaching.com if you feel like you need some help. Uh, but I hope this has been helpful to you. Thank you so much for showing up for yourselves. And uh, we'll be excited to serve you in the next one, okay? Take care for now, guys. See ya.